0: Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today we have Dr. Fuzhan Zane again, second coaching therapy session. And the last one, everything will be linked, but the last one I've got I got more emotional than I can remember being in years. But what I loved about it is that you go in very 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 deep and pulled me right back out which is a huge part of your process and that made it totally safe and comfortable and I didn't have residual you know I wasn't emotional residually I was very introspective it was really enlightening
1: wonderful I'm so glad to hear this and um you did you allowed me um to be with you and um you know you gave me kind of like the privilege of walking with you and uh you becoming vulnerable and allowing yourself to go wherever your body was going to tell you to go and you know some that's very courageous sometimes we have no idea what we hit (laughs) what comes up for us and so uh, definitely you allowed that without holding yourself back um so this way of You being courageous and allowing whatever is to show up, I think is the key uh, for you to get reintegrated very, very quickly. And um, I feel privileged that we're doing this again. Oh my gosh. Another area. (laughs) It's an honor.
0: I mean, you can know, I had read all the paperwork and filled things out and I was overwhelmed at like, wow, this is, this, it was, it's a lot of, I had to do a lot of pre-work, which was great. So I had a great appreciation for your process, but it was nothing like actually going through it. So I'm so honored that I had the experience, but also people can see it because when you read about it or you hear about it, the connection's not quite the same as yeah, hands on. So I, I also love that no matter how much information we could send information back and forth, it's going to be completely unexpected. It was ridiculously unexpected the last time. I, and so I love the process that you just don't know.
1: Right. And I think that's uh, one of the key points of, I, I think I also shared with you and guided you in our work Um that when I ask, let's go find the first time, that you don't go with your head and memory and what you already know, that yes. you really allow your body uh, and the feeling and the emotion in your body, um, cellular memory, muscular memory to take you where you know, it really relates to whatever is happening to you at that moment, because that's the key place where we have made some decisions. But are you know the the thought memory that we keep going back to? They are hand selected ones that we have chosen and put it up on the shelf. And every time, like pictures, you know, like how you put pictures up on shelves, we do that with our memories. Like there are certain ones that are always up on the shelf, and there's so many other ones that are out there that are real that we never bring up. And that's why I ask, you know, if you're if you're seeing that you're going to search for the memory with your thought process, that's not gonna give us. It's almost like you're just gonna go through your your picture album and see which one it is. But if you allow your body to tell you, then that is really gonna guide us to the actual uh, one that you made made up this um, scenario for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the one we need because that's the key to kind of like dismantling that belief about yourself.
0: I love how you just said the memories are like pictures on a shelf. That's so true. It is so true because I can give you the highlighted ones or the ones that have the most impactful reaction when you talk about them. You know what? I, it's our highlight reel, but yeah, I, it, I, it was so unexpected. So I know today is going to be equally unexpected. And I think that that's part of the beauty of this journey because then it, you can be like, oh my gosh, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump in. Let's.
1: Okay. Tell me the area of life that you would like to work on today. We're going to talk about sex, which is one of my favorite topics. Mine too. Let's <laughs> yeah, I'm so
0: happy. <laughs> and there aren't very many people. I mean, it's an easy, fun topic for me, but to really dive in, it's also a pretty scary topic too can be so so
1: let's look at this area with sexuality area with sexuality um it might have uh, different realms so in our in our conversation we might check out different realm about the sexuality so when um you think about the topic of sexuality the, the area and the genre of sexuality what are your thoughts about sex and sexuality I think
0: it's a lot about
1: connection. I think it's empowering.
0: I think it's um, a release. Like it's physical, for me, it's a physical and emotional release. It's like a reset button. Sexuality is a reset button. It's also really powerful, especially as a woman. Um, And I don't like to use the word control because I don't mean it in a derogatory way, but as women, you know, uh, not in my relationship now, but there's a lot of control and power in sexuality. So I think you can use that same, I think it comes across as confidence in a relationship. So there's a lot of confidence around sexuality.
1: Any negative thought process that shows up with that? Any negative belief system that you know of yourself having about sexuality? Rejection. And I know you're going to correct me if I go off of thought. I'm
0: usually good at thought, but um, yes, rejection or inadequacy or failure. Yes, definitely. There are negative. Um, And there's all the word. I mean, as much as connection is part of it, disconnect is part of it for me as well. Uh, dissociation.
1: And when you... Um feel when you think about the genre of sexuality what kind of emotions come up for you positive and negative
0: oh it's just um positive feelings it it, again i think connection can be thought and feeling can it Mm -hmm. just the way that skin feels and the smells it's very tactile i mean i feel part of something bigger Um, and it's not just the person that you're entwined with. It's sexuality can be almost, you know, universal or spiritual, or it's big. It can be overwhelming. Um, negatively, it can feel scary. I can feel robbed. Um, like something's taken from me. It can feel intimidating. Yeah. I think another good one is raw, but that could be a, a negative one also. It can be in a positive or a negative way.
1: So the raw on a positive level would be that it's just you're vulnerable. Yes. Open. And you're, and you're open. Okay. Yeah. Open. And then the Ex- negative one. It it's would the
0: same open. way. It's being open, but not in a way that's positive. In a way if somebody's taking it from you or you, you can't control
1: what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you can that, be a part of an. Uh, you could be abused if yep, you're mm-hmm. that open. Yes, yes, yeah, you could like, be like you open, be. like powerless. If you yep. if you look at it from that place, right?
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: When um, thinking about the uh, area of sexuality, how do you behave in the realm of sexuality? What are your uh, actions in that <laughs> realm?
0: Positive I, or Negative. I chase it. And I mean that's in that is positive. That's a really positive thing because it's in my relationship. I I uh, want it. I put myself forward. I ask for it. I am thoroughly enjoy it. Um, so I definitely and in a negative way, I chased it. I got it. You know. I mean. It's so interesting. This one for me, the same actions can really be positive or negative. It depends on where I'm coming from in the situation.
1: So, how is it negative? Beha- what type of a behavior is negative when you chase? Which is distinct. This there's a distinction between your negativity and positivity about the same. And you said it's about how it might come from. So, what intentionality when you're going forward? with chasing would be bad, negative or positive?
0: Um, doing it in a way that's uh, dysfunctional, where I'm trying to gain control and prove that that's all a man wants, and, um, or putting a notch in my belt, or, so, you know, that theme has played out in my life a couple times.
1: So when you use it as a power trip somehow? mm
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Um, and how are you behaving in that realm uh, at this time in your life with your husband? And how is it? How is sexuality right now at the present moment for you? Positive and negative? Uh,
0: the the sexuality is fantastic. There's a great connection. There's good communication. I think that's an area in almost any, we could like insert your topic here. Communication can be improved on, but we have really good uh, communication. Um, He's very patient. He's very kind. Um, It feels amazing. I mean, there's, there's a ton of positive about it.
1: Any negative?
0: The negative is I am available. I want it more. And I'm going to say that and then take it back. It isn't that he wants it. He works a job where he's really, really tired physically. And so he may want it, but it's, it's not going to happen. So the thought and the action are not connecting for him. So I definitely feel like I have to chase it. And in that sense, because I don't get it as frequently as I want, I feel rejected. He doesn't make me feel rejected. I put that all on myself and I'm very aware of that. But I feel like, um, you know, he doesn't want me as much. Also, uh, I had a hysterectomy 16 years ago. And since that, orgasms have been been more difficult. And you and I talked off the air a couple times ago about how that can be hormonal. Because I turned 50 this year and I am taking something for that. I don't have most of the... Symptoms of having an issue hormonally, and I can track it before the history. I before the hysterectomy sex and my after the hysterectomy sex, and there was definitely something in that that was traumatic for me physical, mental, emotional I don't know all of the above but it's been more difficult, and as time goes on, it's more difficult, and so that makes me angry.
1: And when you said uh, there was something traumatic about it, can you share with me what the traumatic concept
0: was? I lost twins at 19 weeks. So that was the catalyst. It was my seventh pregnancy. I lost twins at 19 weeks and the doctor wanted to like, oh, we'll try to save one of them, uh, you know? And I physically was so spent, and this is one of the hardest things for me to admit, I didn't want him to save, the twins I was like white flag tapping out and I was I I honestly said do you have to I mean well that's called an abortion right I, that's and I wasn't thinking about it in those terms just that I was I was just so tapped out physically from these from the infertility and seven pregnancies and losing twins at 19 weeks that I didn't want the twins to be saved now I went through infertility I understand the desire to want to have a child and not and be told you probably won't be able to and I was blessed that I could but to go from that to being like please don't save these twins and like how could another woman forgive me feeling that way who wants to have it you know what I mean but I miscarried two others and I never felt that way and I gave birth to four and I feel grateful but the fact that I felt that And I thought that, and I just wanted it to be over because physically I was, I mean, losing a baby is physically and emotionally hard. Losing twins at 19 weeks on a toilet over several days. I just, I I couldn't do it any, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want them to save them. I didn't want to go through it. So I ended up, it didn't matter. I did lose them. I couldn't stop it. They kept checking my hormones. I had a DNC. I continued to hemorrhage after the DNC. So I had a vaginal hysterectomy. It went perfectly. They took my cervix and my uterus. One ovary, uh, he said, wasn't functioning. It was dormant. It just wasn't, it was. it's not dead tissue, but it wasn't active. And he said it probably never was. The other one was fine and cystic, which we knew. Um, so he took out my uterus and my cervix. And about two and a half hours after that surgery, I looked at the nurse and I said, I don't, something's not right. And she, palpated my abdomen. She touched my abdomen and I passed out and I was rushed into surgery. They had to bring a second surgeon in. It took over two and a half hours. Now my ex-husband's a doctor. So he's looking at the clock knowing like my time is running out. He planned my funeral. Um, I actually was dead on the table. I have no life after death experiences for anyone as far as that goes, but it took him two and a half hours to stop the bleeding. They used a machine that They ended up cutting me hip to hip, taking out my intestines, suctioning everything out of my abdomen, and they put it through this machine. If anybody knows what that is and what that means and how bad that is, I would love to hear. Because I had a doctor once say, they use that machine on you and you're here to talk about it. So I know that that's a big deal, but I don't understand it. So they put your blood through. I had five blood transfusions. Three of them were my own recycled blood. And I was stapled hip to hip and I came out of that surgery. And I mean, I remember looking at him and going, holy cow, like what did you do? You're supposed to take stuff out. Like what did you do to me? And he was just like, he just, he said to me, you were dead on the table. You shouldn't have survived this. And Mm -hmm. Um, he's like, I don't know how we, one of your arteries, there's two arteries that support the uterus. One of them was sputtering and the other one was like a garden hose. And he's like, you never should have survived this. And we had to take everything out. We opened you up. Um, it saved your life and there, you know, you're, you're probably going to have nerve damage and some residual issues with it. So I had those three. So going from, I, 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 you know, the twins to being dead on the table and going through that physically. And there's a picture of me. And if I should, I was recovering and my son who was a year old was sitting with me. And when you look at it, people will say you look like your soul was not there. Wow. I just, I was probably pretty checked out. I don't have much memory of that at all. I figured God wasn't ready for me. (laughs) And so here I am. but there was emotional baggage through that process. And also, I mean, one of the reasons I didn't want to save the twins is because I knew my marriage was really not good, but I didn't know why I felt that way. I felt guilty for feeling that way. And I wouldn't know why for several years later. And so intuitively I was picking up on a lot that was going on, you know, a lot that was going on in our relationship that I had no idea And um, then physically, I mean, it did, it felt like you put me back into a brand new body, a totally different body, and I had to relearn it. So even though the vaginal canal is totally fine, feels amazing, you know, and nobody touched my clitoris, something in the process, whether, although they didn't do anything physically, something in that process interrupted my connection to being able to orgasm—I want sex just as my drive is just as high. Uh, you know, after the hysterectomy, he said you're probably going to get dry and need lubrication, and they said the same thing when I went through menopause. No, no, I do. I have towels by my bed. Too too much information. Like that's not an issue. So my drive and my desire, and my want, and having sex and it feeling good—perfect. My ability to feel like I'm building an orgasm, like I feel like my clitoris is dead. I have, I can't find it, which is interesting because this surgery also, because they took my intestines out. So I lost the urge to go to the bathroom and I had to learn how my body triggered me. Cause I don't just go like, oh, I feel like I have to pee like a normal person does I actually feel pressure and then pain and I would think, do like, do I have gas cramps? And I would pee and realize that my bladder was so full, it was painful and it kind of reminded me of gas cramps like before the surgery. So I had to learn new triggers. I have to take fiber to make sure that I have bowel movements regularly because I don't. I have no urge and I have to like just sort of check in with myself and feel pressure and sit down and hang out and just be like, okay, we need to do this. So I really have had to relearn how my body functions in a physical way for 16 years. This wasn't yesterday. So the fact that I have no trigger, no urge to go to the bathroom, it, it's sort of the same disconnect I have with my clitoris. I don't have, like I've lost the con- the brain to body connection, I can't tap into it. So for me to orgasm, it takes, I mean, there's one position in sex. I can do it, but I have to use a bullet vibrator a hundred percent. So before sex, I could have sex and have an orgasm during sex. And you know, sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's more difficult, but I had no problem with that connection. Now I can only have sex with a bullet vibrator. Um, if I can make an analogy, I would say like, it takes a jackhammer to get, I feel like I have to jackhammer myself to, I have to almost like force it. Um, That's in my mind what it feels like. And it's almost like 99% of the time it's after sex is over with fingers and a bullet vibrator. So now maybe there's nothing wrong with using a bullet vibrator every single time. And there's nothing innately wrong with only being able to orgasm in one position sexually. And there's certainly nothing wrong with finishing afterwards with fingers and a vibrator, except it wasn't my normal before. And, you know, like the last time we had sex, I said, man, it is. it takes so much effort for me to have an orgasm. They are so hard when I have them, but I literally have to bitch slap my clitoris into getting on board,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I, I know that fingers make it easier because you can G, you can touch the G-spot more easily than you can during intercourse. My frustration, I think, is that I can't do it like I used to, and I don't know how, but I think the biggest frustration is that I've lost that connection. Like I, I just, you know, usually you have sex and all of a sudden your clitoris is like, hello, <laughs> I'm over here, I'm feeling tingly, I have six million nerves way more than a man with a penis you know i mean like
1: it's interesting that you uh you explained all of that also about uh other bodily purging uh, mm-hmm. and intestine and it's the, your level of acceptance of that mm-hmm. in your body language was phenomenal you know but, uh, and and then your frustration yeah. with this which you are actually still operating just a little bit harder. You've you yeah. got to put much more work at it, but it's still operating um, and giving you pleasure. Your frustration is with yeah. this. But when you were talking about you know, removing your intestine and right. having to really relearn everything about your body, uh, on that one, interestingly, it was like, oh, well, it is what it is. And then- I, think,
0: I think I like the system. It's a different system than it used to be, but it still functions the same way. I can still have a bowel movement. I can still urinate. I don't have any problem with that. I just had to, the triggers were different. I can't figure out how to get the same result for sex in a different way, but the same result. I guess that's my frustration. I can still have an orgasm, but it's not the way I used to. I can have a bowel movement the way I used to. I just have to listen to the cues better. So I feel like there's a disconnect. I'm not getting the cues to learn how to do it like I used to in a different way. I guess using a vibrator is learning how to do it in a different way. I just don't like that way. I I feel like there's I failed. Also,
1: there's also a difference. Yeah. The difference is with the bowel movement or urinating, it is your body and you, uh, getting connected with each other and be able to do that. So there's no manipulation that has to happen. It's, right. it's you gotta get in, inclined with what's going on and then the allowance to happen. Right. Read the cue, create the structure, allowance. This one, it's not, well, the act of sexuality and having an orgasm, it it is, done with manipulation and is done with either another person or your own manipulation. Mm -hmm. So it's not just tuning in and allowing, but it's tuning in and allowing and maybe other ways of manipulation that has to be a part of that. And it seems like the allowing and um, the allowing is happening. The tuning is happening. It's just that the form of manipulation has to be different and it is above and beyond maybe what a partner can do or that they're not skilled at it in the new form yet or that it takes a whole different way for them to do it. So then you're taking over with a new style of manipulation to gain what it is. So that's also a difference between these two arena that cannot be similar.
0: And I expected it with my intestines and my bladder. I had a hysterectomy and they opened me hip to hip and took that, I mean like I, I expected to have to relearn how those things work. They were directly impacted. Although my uterus was removed and there's a lot of contraction in the uterus during orgasm, so they are connected. He didn't, physically, there was no surgery done on my clitoris. You know, like it was was kind of like sitting over here by itself. So I think it was so unexpected uh, an unexpected side effect that really kind of pissed me off like oh, all this other stuff happened and then this too like seriously <laughs> I'm glad to be alive I'm not minimizing my gratitude but I should be having like I don't have a uterus anymore. I don't have PMS. I don't have periods. I don't have craving. My my boobs don't hurt. Menopause has been cool. I didn't gain. I I did gain weight immediately after the surgery, but like I lost that weight. I I, I felt like a playground. I wasn't stressed about getting pregnant. It made I hadn't felt that good in some ways physically since I was 15. You know, it took it removed all of these things that I, I'm telling you. I was in and out of the doctor's office, hemorrhaging and losing two other pregnancies, and in infertility surgeries, it was, it was really, really hard, and physically, emotionally it was hard, but physically, it was awful and painful, and it was just a terrible situation, and that got all removed, so like, I feel better than I have in my life, and now sex is just fun, I'm like a guy, now I'm a playground, like, there's no threat of of anything, right, and It's harder than, it didn't used to be hard like this. And now it's, I mean, I used to be able to have an orgasm with oral sex. I don't even know how long he'd have to work at it for that to happen. And so now I'm,
1: huh? It's a loss that you're not liking at all. All other losses, all other losses, you could find something positive about or accept. Yes. One, it's a loss that, no, I don't want it. I'm not willing to accept it. I want my way as it was before. That's the difference as I hear it.
0: Yes. And because I am highly sexual, um, and I want it all the time, then you finally get it, and I feel like you have to, you know, beat my sexuality with a two by four to finish the job. And and like I liked oral sex. And now if Dane and Dane is so patient and so sweet. But when he tries, I, I mean, literally, I'm like, look, <laughs> we've tried this a lot and we haven't been able to figure it out. And I just feel like a failure. I feel guilty. You're trying. So, hard. feelings you shouldn't have in this otherwise really healthy, very connected, super great sexual relationship. But it makes me angry because I used to. And I don't like feeling like he's ready to go to bat and, you know do this great thing for me and then I feel like a failure those are that's a horrible way to feel
1: and a burden almost like
0: oh yeah yeah and I know in our prior sex lives you know with before we were together and before the hysterectomy um it wasn't like that for either of us sure and that sucks
1: I know so in the area of sexuality what do you assume he thinks about you?
0: He thinks I'm sexy. (laughs) He thinks I chase him mercilessly, which I know that he likes, although the negative side of that is that he feels like he's not giving me enough, and he feels guilty for being so tired, and I know that's part of it, and that's a balance with me chasing. There's a part of it that's flirtatious, and fun, and exciting, and sassy, and a part that's like, Yeah, now I'm just making him feel bad. So, uh, you know, that part's a balance. Um, I know he really enjoys sex, and we've gone through ups and downs in our relationship, and sexuality, aside from this issue, is something that has come up. Like, okay, how can we connect better? And we went through a lot of that process. Um, I know that he has had sexual relationships in the past that have been much easier And more fulfilling so I carry that baggage also and he does not he's not he doesn't want me to do that he's not happy he is the most patient kind and he doesn't care that it takes fingers and a vibrator at the end or that I have to be like you know I lost it hang on hang on give me a breath and we'll start over again which we have to do several times sometimes you know he doesn't care that it's taking a little bit longer he doesn't care that I finish later, he doesn't, it doesn't matter to him. I think the hard part for me is that I want it to matter to him.
1: Say more about that.
0: I want him to be on a mission to help us figure it out. And I think he is in a very gentle, kind way. And I want him to be more in a jackhammer way. I mean, I'll use, you know, I really want him to be like, let's try to figure this out. And he has, but I think it's easy. It's easy with any partner over time and years to fall into a pattern where you know each other and you just do it this way. Cause this way works and you're tired. And you know, there's lots of other things in life and there's stress and stuff. And I really like to keep it spicy and fun. And so, um, I don't want to just and do if it. He,
1: and if he participates in this, um, actively, then the, the part of you that goes into the thought process and the feeling of being a burdened and t- he's tired and might as well let go then goes away because then it becomes a it's a play yeah a, it's a play that you're both involved in versus yes. he's done with the play but he's just there being nice to you
0: and i i think that's a little extreme because i, I he's more invested than that but i know the times in our relationship where he's been like more sexually aggressive have it's been easier for me. So I felt I wasn't chasing as much. So that might be a key Um, when he's more assertive and aggressive and really wants it more and it's more playful and he's initiating it. um, It's not like it's tons easier. Like, Oh, look, now I can have orgasms the old way, but it's definitely takes the pressure off of me of the baggage that I've packed and have now carried, you know, that I feel guilty and I feel like a failure. And so, um, I know that it's good for him. I know that we got through a lot of the reasons why our sex life and our sexuality wasn't as good for him. And that was several years ago. And I was really grateful that, you know, it's easy to be caught up in why it's hard for me. He's the other half of the equation doesn't mean that it's great and easy for him too. So when we made that switch, it actually, I was like, oh good, we're both in the same place, great. Okay, good, it's not good for you either. Okay, now we can get somewhere. And so the times he's been more assertive in communication and the times he's been more assertive about desire have been, easy. I feel a lot less guilt and failure. So I think just in life we get into patterns and um, and it's not like it's like that anyway and it's not like we we dread it. You know, it's so good in so many ways I can tell you what's negative about it, but really it's so little of it. I think the biggest negative thing is that I've attributed all of these situations into feeling like failure, feeling guilt, feeling like I want it more. Um, if you asked him, he'd probably tell you, I'm totally full of shit. You know, that that's not true. <laughs> and But I've still, I still carry the weight of this baggage and that makes it even more difficult.
1: So where is this baggage in your body?
0: Oh, um, deep in my gut.
1: And as you go deep in your gut, what is the actual emotion that is being felt right there?
0: Uh, worthiness or failure. It's just a deep failure.
1: And uh, when you feel that in your gut what is what is it that you're telling yourself what is the thought or the belief the negative one that you have about yourself that creates this type of unworthiness and deep failure in your gut
0: i tell myself that i'm a failure and i'm disconnected like somehow i've There's a lot of loss. Somehow I've lost something and I don't know how to find it
1: again. Okay. So close your eyes and go into connect into your deep gut and really feel the unworthiness, the loss. And allow... The sense of loss and unworthiness to really take over your body from zero to 10, zero, nothing, 10, but in highest insenti- intensity you experience. What is the scale?
0: Uh, of loss? Yes. Uh, at least an eight.
1: And unworthiness?
0: It's about the same, seven probably
1: all right so just really connect with your gut and allow these to just even go all the way to 10. and allow the feeling of loss and unworthiness with the muscles of your gut with the cells of your body to take you to the first time or the earliest time that you remember experiencing this type of loss and unworthiness and that you told yourself that I'm a deep failure it's this it's the same memory
0: as last time it's when my parents divorced and I felt like i i mean I lost both of them and because I felt like it was my fault i that's I felt unworthy.
1: And how old were you? Six. I want you to look at the girl who's six and tap into her loss. And tell me, as you're looking at her, and go into who she is in her body and share with me the sense of loss that you were experiencing as a six-year-old. We lost the house and
0: a lot of my stuff was being sold or given away. And we moved into a, a really small house, my dad moved to another state Um, my mom had been working and my dad had been staying at home. I don't have much memory of that, but now we became latchkey kids. My sister and I, you know, basically, um, I didn't realize my mom was working so much until she was the only one there. So we lost our, our home, our security. And I lost both my parents because my dad left. And my mom and she she worked and she started dating again and I felt like we were on the back burner. I we lost I felt like I lost almost everything.
1: So sit with the loss. And tell me what other feelings come around it. Super angry. Zero to ten?
0: Oh, a ten. The anger on that's a ten for sure.
1: And where is that in your body? It's in the same place. So connect to the anger and allow yourself and allow the anger the muscles of your gut and cellular memory to take you to the earliest time you ever experienced this kind of anger.
0: Our cat had kittens. I don't know how old I was, four me? I mean, I don't, I honestly don't know. I know my sister was born and I was three when she was born. I had to have been four or five and the cat had kittens and this kitten got stuck in the bathroom drawer And, um, I was angry. I was, that's more fear. I think I was scared and angry and I didn't want the kitten to die. And he did not And right around the exact same time as that, I had glasses when I was four and they diagnosed me with a lazy eye and I had a patch over my glasses and I, they wanted to strengthen my eye and I hated it so much and i took it off of my glasses and i stomped on it on the bathroom floor and it happened the cat this kitten that got stuck and me doing this happened really close and in the same bathroom and i stomped on it on the floor and i stuck it in a drawer and um i don't remember who found it i think it was my mom and she taped it back together and i didn't get yelled at but i was so angry i i didn't want to wear it i hated that patch and I wanted to smash it. That's the first time I ever remember being really angry. And somehow, even though those two incidences aren't connected, they must have happened close enough together that it kind of bleeds over. Like my fear and my anger at my parents for not being sure they could save the cat and that stupid <laughs> patch on my glasses, I, I was so angry.
1: And as you look at the four-year-old, Jen, who is very, very angry and you go into her body and share with me what that anger, if there is any other emotions or thought around that anger.
0: It's much higher in my chest and I just really wanted to be seen. I I felt like my anger was justified and I just wanted to be seen so I could explain it because then obviously it would make sense and I have to, wouldn't have to wear this thing anymore. So I, yeah, I felt, I didn't feel like I was being seen or understood. I, w- I wasn't being understood.
1: And if you want to be understood and seen, who do you want to be understood and seen by?
0: For that, my parents, for sure. And yeah, I just thought if they like f- figured it out and understood me that they would just tell the doctor he was wrong. You know, in my mind, that's what I thought it would be that easy.
1: And then what happened?
0: My mom taped it back together and I had to wear it. However, within a year, the doctor realized that it wasn't a correct diagnosis and I didn't have to wear it. And I felt like, if you guys had just listened to me before, I. but I didn't know that I didn't need it. I just knew that I hated it and I was angry. But I, I, I just felt un understood so that's what happened she taped it back together I had to keep wearing it and then the diagnosis shifted and in less than a year because in kindergarten I did not have to wear it so somewhere in the next six to 12
1: months it was gone so as you can um Jen who is here today can check in with the four-year-old who has had to wear the glasses. What could you tell her? What is she, she needs to be seen. She needs to be understood.
0: I would tell her that I secretly know that she's right. And if she is patient, um, that, everyone will understand that they'll that will all happen you know the patch will be gone and there's no reason to be angry about it
1: and when you say that to her how does she take it
0: well she's glad because somebody listens like oh okay you get it and then you have a plan right the plan is like just be patient they will understand and even though Me reacting in anger didn't result in anything awful. I didn't get punished or screamed at or hit or, like, nothing bad happened from my anger. It was unnecessary. Um, And once she feels seen and understood, you don't have to be angry anymore. You have a plan. Okay.
1: It is amazing how angry I was about that. And when you tell her that I'm from the future and I'm coming to you and all will be well. Relief. Okay. It's like a secret. So check your anger from zero to 10 in your chest.
0: Oh, it's gone. Instead it's like, and not only is it gone, but like now I have a secret and there's a plan and that feels awesome.
1: Great. So I want you to take that four-year-old integrated within your system because she doesn't have to be out there alone anymore. Now let's go to the four-year-old with the kitty cat. And what does she want at that moment? I
0: wanted my parents to fix it and save this kitten. I didn't want him to die. His name was Oscar. Um, and I was I I was I I was really upset because I, I was angry because I wanted them to just do it, to just fix it. And actually because they were patient and took time, they did. They did save it. Um, initially though I was it was I was scared and I was angry. I I wanted them to just make it right.
1: So as you tell four year old Jen. From the future what is your message to her Are you knowing that she's afraid and she really wants somebody to come and fix this because she doesn't want to lose this beautiful kitten
0: that they do like just hang on because everything's gonna be fine
1: and zero to ten your experience of anger in your gut I don't, it's,
0: I don't feel angry.
1: Okay.
0: I actually feel appreciative. I feel grateful that they, that they were patient and calm and slow and fix the situation.
1: So ask the four-year-old in the bathroom with the kitten to also reintegrate with you, knowing that she doesn't need to be out there alone anymore, that you're the future and you're letting them both know all is well. No worries. All turned out well. So now let's go to the six-year-old. And what are her needs at this time? When they've lost the room, they've lost the house, she's lost both her parents.
0: I would tell her that we got through it The loss was very real. I mean, I didn't get it back. I didn't get that loss back, but we got through it. And that when I was nine, I would meet someone that I felt so valued and so much worth from my third grade teacher that it would bridge this huge gap so again i just have to be patient and there will be someone else it won't be it won't be my parents but there will be someone else who gives me that sense of worthiness of worth being worthwhile i'll be worth it to her and that 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 will that will go a long way in healing me.
1: And as you're looking at her and saying this to her, how does she receive this? I think it
0: still feels overwhelming because six to nine is three years and that's a really long time. And to know that, to believe that even though you've lost something and you don't get it back, it can be, You can feel just as fulfilled in a different way. Um, That's really hard. And it seems like a long time and a lot of, and you still have to, you still lose everything. So I think that there's relief in it, but there's also knowing that you have to process that loss.
1: Is it okay to grieve?
0: Yeah. And that, in the end, um, with my father, it will be a relief that I lost him, but that that's really hard to, like losing him was the best thing that could have happened because he became so violent. So that even though it's really hard at the time, um, that's far better than the alternative. And that's just really hard. And yes, it's okay to grieve that.
1: So as you connect to the six-year-old, if you check with her to see in yourself, in your body, in your deep gut. Unworthiness zero to eight.
0: Oh, she ends up knowing she's worthy. So that's there's no there isn't unworthiness anymore
1: and loss zero to eight?
0: Um, Loss is still there. It's probably a four. It can still be, it can be really hard to lose something, even if you know it was the better option. It was definitely the better option with him, hands down. Um, So I think I've come to terms with the fact that you have to, and he's died, so, and it was a relief um you have to come to terms of feeling okay that you're gonna grieve and that that's just the way it's gonna be and you're not ever going to get that back um so although there's still grief there i feel comfortable it's okay mm-hmm. my, my mom's harder um My mom was really good in a lot of ways and really not in a lot of ways. And um, the grief was for me at that age and learning as I got older, that grief of losing her, that she could have been so much more, but she chose not to be. So that grief of loss I think has never left me the same way as I've, come to terms with it with my dad. Losing the house and losing the stuff, that that comes and goes. That ended up not being a big deal. Even though at the time it was really hard. I remember other little girls coming over and looking at my stuff and buying it. It was hard. I didn't understand. Um, but that part was fine. That was OK. But knowing that it could have been different with my mom and it wasn't because of her choice, the grief at six that was starting became much worse over time and that's been really difficult so although i may understand as an adult i can be empathetic and realize that she was trying to raise two little girls basically by herself while still living her own story kids don't realize parents are living their own story you know um so there can be a lot of forgiveness in that but there's still loss. And I don't, I don't know how to make that better for the six-year-old or today. I mean, I still feel, I still carry that grief of loss about my mom.
1: And it's okay. It's okay to grieve and it's okay to accept that the loss is there. And if you, uh, as you go to the six-year-old from her future, what do you tell her? about her future?
0: Um, oh, it's going to mold her into a very strong person. And she will try 150% to give her best to her kids into everyth- everything. Um, and that some days that will look like 150%, and some days it will look like a fraction. But that's not because the effort wasn't there. Um, It taught me a lot about what I didn't want and how I wanted to be different and that I'll make a slew of different mistakes Um, and that that's okay. You know, I don't blame my, my mom made her own mistakes and I may not have made the same ones she made, but I, I made other ones. So (laughs) it's like a check and balance thing. So I won't be as hard on her about it later um because i'll understand it from a different perspective and and it definitely molded me in and i learned that i can be worthy to other people and more so i learned my own personal worthiness and that was probably worth the struggle yeah
1: so going back to your deep gut and checking um loss zero to four where is it now?
0: Um, it's still probably a two. I think I'm always going to feel just like that grief. I lost something that could have been so much better. That's. I don't know that that will ever be. I don't know how that will be, but I think it's gotten better over time and even just today with you. Um but there are things in life that i've lost i've lost other people to death and like that loss is i don't i don't know that i even want it to be a lot less than two because some of it is just missing someone you loved so um it's probably about a two on that loss yeah with my mom it's and um that's a comfortable dull number i can live with that more than eight or nine good
1: all right now i want you to come back with your relationship with your body Mm. okay and as you connect with your body and the loss some functions tell me what shows up for you I'm just really sad
0: and I know it's um, I mean death aside it could have been so much worse but I'm really sad and I feel guilty like somehow I could have Or I still could do something where I don't feel that as much. It's that same little girl feeling. I lost the twins and I wanted to, so there's a lot of guilt in the loss, you know, and a lot of fear that I won't get things back the way they used to be. Um, Or that I just can't make this physical, emotional, brain-body connection and find myself again. I'm pissed and sad that I lost what I did because it was fun and great and a huge part of who I am. And now I feel like I'm still that, but I can't execute it. And I feel bad about it.
1: That's. and what do you think that your responsibility is in that Um, you feel so guilty about
0: because i was relieved to lose the twins and that not that i could have controlled any of it or that thinking that made it happen i mean I know where I was at physically at that point. I know where I was at mentally at that point. But um, it feels almost like a punishment. So, and because I didn't want them and I had to have those three surgeries, well, I got what I wanted, didn't I? So, how can I complain about where I'm at when that, you know, that was a price I paid for not wanting to save these twins and there's no way at, I mean when he said it to me I remember thinking like is that possible like how is it possible when you're hemorrhaging this much and I'm in the hospital like how, how is that even physically possible to do
1: I do understand I want to take you to the Jen who was at that time okay I want you to look at reality not what you made up for yourself I really want you to for a minute look at reality But although there was a question that came in front of you, and that you appeared to have some answer, in reality, at that moment, did you have any other choice than what happened? No. Thank you.
0: No, I absolutely had no choice. And the fact that I felt the way I did was a side effect of just the whole situation.
1: Thank you.
0: Any woman who has delivered twins at 19 weeks on a toilet, alone, hemorrhaging, would understand how you have no control and that there's a moment where you're just like, I just wanted to be there for the kids that I had. It wasn't even as much as not wanting them. It was more like, I don't know if I can make it through this. I need to, I need to save myself over them.
1: Yes. Yes. And you did the right thing. Yes. I couldn't control it anyway, but. You could not control it anyway. It was not up to you.
0: And I still feel like somehow I'm being punished for something. And that doesn't even, logically that doesn't make sense, but emotionally that's how I feel they don't play well in the sandbox together, (laughs) logic and emotion. Um, Like it was like,
1: and what is the punishment?
0: That I am totally disconnected with my clitoris and the ability to be able to normally, or like I used to, or like I want to, or easily, more easily have Mm -hmm. an orgasm. Like, okay, you lived and you didn't get the twins and you got what you wanted, but
1: well, the option was given to you to have a life or an orgasm. I guess you got life. I know.
0: What a shit for complaining. Yeah. You were
1: dead. Uh, yeah, I, I was told that. So You were dead. And then there was an option. You can come back and the live. Yep. And the one thing you might lose is to have fast orgasm. You still haven't lost a, a little bit of an orgasm with patience. <laughs> Uh, only thing you lost was a fast orgasm, but you got your life back. That's true. And so then
0: that's part of the guilt. Like, really, what do I have to complain about? There are lots of women out there who have a much more difficult time than I do
1: now. You can still be pissy about it. That's okay. But I think that to come to some sense of reality that, one... You didn't have anything to do with it so what are you holding a guilt for right it's not serving me well that's just a delusional concept right because you you really had no option of making choices at that moment although it appeared that somebody came and asked you like would you and then you came up with an answer but (laughs) realistically you
0: you really I don't remember having any angels visit me or seeing the light or being like, okay, so here's the deal. Yeah. Plan A is you can hang out with us. Yeah. Plan B is you go back. Right. But, and of course I would have said in a heartbeat, if I had that, if that actually happened or I remember having that happen, I wouldn't have even hesitated. What a great thing.
1: Right. Um, so again- I'm going to go back to your body and check guilt, zero to 10. It's pretty much not there. (laughs) Good. Wonderful. So now let's go back to loss. Yeah. Zero to 10.
0: I still feel
1: loss. Of course. Zero to 10.
0: probably a three.
1: All right. And it's okay. It's okay. Because I think that one of the things that happens is that as long as you're not accepting the reality of what has transpired that whenever whenever there is a trigger that reminds you of that you also go into a loss
0: oh that's interesting
1: okay because when you were talking about bowel movement Uh there was no loss because it that is a huge loss but you did not even register it as a loss so right now it's like all right i just have to be Patience, which you kept saying to a four-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old. You kept telling them, guess what? If you're patient, life changes. If you're patient, the future will bring something else. Don't worry about it. If you're patient, it all will be well. And you also doing exactly the same thing with the urinary tract and the bowel movement. Yeah, You're being patient with yourself. You've learned how to listen to the triggers. And go in the bathroom, sit patiently, connect, and allow the release to happen with no guilt and no loss. On this one, you're holding another belief around it. Yeah. And every time that that becomes relevant, that I have to have patience. I just need to connect with my body, and I need to stimulate it in another way. Then you go into the rage, the loss. It all shows up how different this is. Right. Although other stuff are different, but it's okay. I,
0: I hate that I never put it together. Like some things were no big deal and other things I'm pissed and feel lost. In the, from the exact same moment, you know, from the same situation. And I I get it
1: that the significance of the orgasm and the pleasure that you gain out of that. It was almost like having orgasm for you was a prize. It was an achievement. It was something that you got that was yours. And therefore, taking that away appears to be a punishment to you. Yeah. That's how you interpret it. And then from there on, every time it happens is as if it's a punishment and you're being punished and you get angry at it and you sense the loss. And that's the significance you put on that type of a body function versus the other type of body functions. You put it that seems function. so silly, right? You know, I mean, I totally understand why that is way more significant because <laughs> there's so much more pleasure in intensity yeah. pleasure. The other ones is just like relief. This right. one is an intensified pleasure, and, and it's a reward. Like shit, this is a reward, and somebody, damn it, took
0: a reward <laughs> from me. Yeah, it was it's a Pavlov's dogs thing for me. Like if you just if you hit the button, you get the cheese. You know, yes. and um and and I figured out ways. I mean, it was it wasn't that it wasn't frustrating for me in the beginning with everything. I mean, literally in that several month healing process. I had to figure out everything, but I realized, okay, if I take fiber, I poop. I can't just, if if I notice that there's pressure, I have to, I have to pee. I just, I don't, I haven't figured that same thing
1: out. Of course you have. You told me. Okay, I use a
0: vibrator and fingers.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
0: I just, fiber was better than fingers, I guess, you know, so-
1: Sure about that. (laughs) I mean. A balloon in a finger and orgasm always is better than a fiber and pooping.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll totally give you that one. I'll I'll totally, I will totally give you that one. It's, it's just not the same yeah, it is like a reward. It is. And I think a lot of my sexuality and confidence and feeling, and again, control is not the right word, but that, that ownership of my sexuality, a lot of it was in my ability to be able to reach that orgasm and do it during sex. And it was that whole connectivity part. For me, I, I feel like waiting till after and finishing that way, although it feels good, like I've lost some of that connection to my partner and, uh, so, and some of my control and my confidence in it, too.
1: How old are you?
0: I turned 50 this year in December of 2020.
1: So if we come up okay. with an amazing sexual reward that is for a 50-year-old female, okay. and we can design that reward, because the first reward was kind of like given to you, by nature
0: right yeah
1: now let's design one okay that you can call reward and that you can either claim as is right now or um created in the area of sexuality okay what would that be what would you consider a reward beyond beside the orgasm
0: oh um more frequency okay would be great um exploring other alternatives mm-hmm. so i can use the bullet on myself with no fingers and have an orgasm but what if there are other options that i don't even know that are out there like i know they have lubricants that are stimulating i don't know like that, i i know there's that one but like how many other things are there out there that i don't even know about that i could try and so the reward the reward wouldn't be the orgasm it would actually be having the patience to try other options yeah i just love it when I talked to you and I know my words just came right back at me (laughs) from my four-year-old self. Um, That would be, you know, what else would be a huge reward is to try some things outside of sex, like with Dane. So, Hey, I got this and, or I want to get this or we got this or whatever. Cause he can be part of the whole process. That would be fine. But I got this, stimulating cream and I want to try it just with you without I did try one thing once it was a, some it was a like a KY type stimulating thing and it burned him and so I, I think I'm a little like let's try things first and see if they work with me and then add you to the mix just in case.
1: How about the curiosity and play. Uh, okay. How about play? Okay. And play then can be anything, right? Like it'll be new play. You will find, it'll be uh, products you will find. It'll be, uh, wasn't that book? There was a book about a hundred ways of having sex. What was it? The Indian one? Uh, I'll I'll find out for you. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll put
0: it in the show notes.
1: Yes. Like um, different ways of, having sex, sexual positions. Right. um, Breathing comes to mind. Breathe, oh, tantric sex. Okay. Tantric sex, you know what? They have orgasm without orgasm. I know,
0: I don't understand. There you go, there's one (laughs) thing to go and find out how. Those would definitely be rewards instead of sticking to what the one thing, yeah. All right. So play. Yep, I like the word play.
1: All right. So, if, as you envision yourself in the area of uh, sexuality, who do you intend to be? Got what kind it. of thoughts you want to have? <laughs> what kind of emotions? What kind of behaviors? What kind of values?
0: I want it to be fun. And I think um, you've just pointed out by using the word play that I put so much pressure on myself that it's not as much fun, which could be an enormous part of the problem in and of itself.
1: Um, If I I have. Yeah. The whole focus, the whole intention, biological intentionality of even putting an orgasm for you as a female was to have fun. Yeah, it Thank should be. Thank you.
0: I mean, I've loved it since I was
1: 17.
0: So, But do you
1: get that that was part of the design? Like the, the, the design for a male to have orgasm was to procreate. procreate. The design for the female to have orgasm was? Just fun. Just Thanks. fun. So remember, you cannot take away the actual purpose of it. Right. But yeah, it has to I so. have. I have
0: okay I've totally robbed myself of the play so yes the play is so I I've always been really confident and self-assured and very sexual and sure of my sexuality and I think I, I I want that part of me back and that doesn't have to do with the orgasm either
1: so I'm sexy playful goddess
0: yeah it's very empowering and, and fulfilling. And I, that's the goddess
1: part. I just, I loved it. And I just forgot. Right. As an intentionality of a sexy playful goddess, what kind of a thought process would you like to have in this area of life? Beliefs. Oh, that the,
0: I think I need to be less hung up on the orgasm and more about the play and, in my, and about my body um, as far as beliefs, that it's
1: not... Putting ex- significance um, in all of the journey, in all of the uh, areas of sexuality and not just get limited to put significance only in one area.
0: I think the whole thing should just be fun.
1: Thank you. Okay. And, um, uh, intentionality of emotions that you would, uh, intend to feel.
0: Oh, happy, playful, connected in a, a different way. Um, uh, closeness. Um, yeah, I'm so sarcastic and playful in my life in general. And I used to be in this area that I think it's just a reclaiming actually
1: Beautiful. Uh, behaviors that you intend and committed to create and to have? Um, I need to do,
0: I want to look into things more. Um, I think learning about other options, first of all, that's fun. But um, trying them and without the intent of orgasm means that it is just fun. Like it doesn't matter if it just totally flops. It, that's fine. That's no big deal. Like the whole thing, you know, I breathe and pass out or I fall asleep or you know it just doesn't matter that I, I need to be um, detached myself from the result and just be more part of the process and the journey. So I think my intent is just to study and learn and try things.
1: And if you were going to put that in an action form, with it, how would you kind of like commit yourself? in your calendar to put what you just said in an action form?
0: I love mornings and I already have time. It says time for Jen on my calendar. Mm-hmm. And so that I, that is the time where if I'm going to masturbate, that's already when I do it. So I just, I have the time it's set aside. I like doing it. There's no issue with that. It's just, um, I can also do some research in that time frame and try different things. and. And to remind myself, even if I have put it in notes on my calendar, to be patient with it.
1: That's your I, word.
0: I know. I just hate that you threw it right back at me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one to come <laughs> back at you. With. <laughs>
0: Damn you, Dr. Fujan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Kama Sutra.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, 100. A hundred ways of having different types of sexuality. And I remember even having the book with all of it. Some of it, you look on like, really? Yeah. You I can do that. I, I, no. I'm not breaking my neck. I can do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think definitely. And one of the things that I have to do with intention is being open in my communication. Cause I don't think I'm going to have resistance, but the process may not be as fast I'll be like, we're going to try a new thing every day. And Dean's like falling asleep on himself, like literally trying to stay awake and listen. Because he's very oh, well, on board, yeah. but I need to be patient with that
1: too. Right. Um, I did share, uh, I did go, just for sharing with you, um, I did go to um, experience individually, and I know they have couples, and I've heard that they have amazing couples retreats and classes for tantric. Um, yeah. I went to one which was individual. And, okay. um It was amazing. It was uh, women sitting uh, in a circle, men sitting in front of them. And then, you know, we switched. And it was more like when you talk about patience and playfulness and connection, um, like holding a hand and really massaging a hand while you're looking at each other's eyes and the centrality of that. And then another one. And then your feet and then feeding you. And this was just like everybody was there with their clothes on. And this was all like two hands, two feet and strawberry in the mouth, but the amount of the energy and the playfulness and the connection and the buzz was so out of this world. And then I've also heard from the couples retreats that, um, when you talk about how to connect to your body in a whole different way and really feel the feel without, and it's lengthy and there is no pressure of, let's do it now and let's get to this because it's a whole different way of being with your body uh, versus thinking it's going to be this way and up and orgasm. It's re-relating to sexuality in a whole different way where orgasm only becomes one part of the pleasure while everything else out of it is also a reward. So I really suggest um, uh, just check into all of these different playful ways of knowing what works for you and your body in this new way of being where you need to connect to your body yeah uh, in the sexual realm from a different place right
0: yeah i i'm excited about it, it makes it exciting again
1: okay can you uh, close your eyes for a minute and scan from the top of your head all the way to your toes and tell me if there's anything going on or tension, anything that we need to release?
0: No, my gut feels super relaxed.
1: Wonderful. So just you know, imagine a white light or any color light that you just, um, for you, it means peace mm. and love and grandness and beauty and just allow that to be experienced all over your body. you can open your eyes whenever you're ready ah thank Thank you. you
0: so much thank you I
1: appreciate it so much